Hi there, and welcome to Colour Fit Chat number three. When I decided to have a big nutritional focus for Colour Fit Chat, this guy was absolutely at the top of my list, and I'm over the moon that he's on. Danny Lennon is a nutritionist and he's a host of the top rated podcast, Sigma Nutrition. I'm massively thankful to Danny for his podcast because it's had a huge contribution to my knowledge base and my practices. Anyone that regular subscribes, you'll know that Danny's highly articulate, he's very intelligent, and his guests are just the who's who of nutrition. Danny also is a regular international speaker, he runs his own conferences, and he's an active practitioner himself, working with athletes and the general public, and he specializes in combat athletes. So I hope you enjoy the show. Remember, I really want your involvement to make it a more powerful resource. So if you want to comment or quiz Danny, Make sure you use the hashtag ColourFitChat and also tag Danny in, which is at NutritionDanny. Enjoy the show. So what is time-restricted feeding? Well, there are two related terms that you'll probably see crop up, time-restricted feeding and time-restricted eating. A lot of the time people use them quite interchangeably, but just to be aware that there is a slight difference that you'll see if they're, as they are defined within the scientific literature. Usually when we talk about time-restricted feeding or TRF, you will see that in relation to animal and rodent models. When we're talking about time-restricted eating, that's most usually in relation to human trials. So therefore, that's why you'll see a difference depending on maybe what research paper you look at. But oftentimes, colloquially, people use them interchangeably. As the name suggests, TRF, time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating, is simply consuming our daily calories within a condensed feeding window. So all those calories are in a set number of hours that is typically shorter than just eating from when we get up to when we sleep. When you look at the literature on the average feeding window for most people in a Western population, it seems to be around 15 to 16 hours is quite typical and seen as quite normal. And that's a relatively long feeding window. So consuming calories relatively soon after waking and then all the way through until close to onset of sleep in the evening time is quite common. What time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating intervention would do is shrink that into a 12-hour feeding window, a 10-hour, an 8-hour, variable amounts, but a smaller condensed feeding window where all of those calories are consumed. There are some slight differences between that and daily intermittent fasting, and we'll probably address that in a further question. So the next question that arises, is that just intermittent fasting then? And yes, there are a lot of parallels between a time-restricted eating intervention and a typical daily intermittent fasting protocol that you may have seen. So one of the most popular forms of intermittent fasting would be a daily intermittent fast of, let's say, a 16-8 setup, simply meaning 16 hours of fasting with an eight-hour feeding window. This is mirrors a lot of the interventions you would have with time-restricted eating. However, one of the main differences is that time-restricted eating and time-restricted feeding is born out of circadian biology research particularly. It's based on looking at things through this lens of circadian biology and influences on things in our circadian rhythms. And so the idea being that there can be benefits for our health and metabolic health via impacts on circadian rhythms depending on when we eat and where we partition those calories across the day. And that is the impetus to start looking at a time-restricted feeding model. And therefore, there is no real um, goal or uh, 
aim necessarily to have caloric restriction as the main objective there or weight loss as the main objective. It's really looking at, at impacting health via circadian mechanisms. Whereas intermittent fasting, there's many different types of intermittent fasting. Of course, a daily intermittent fast is just one particular type that has a similar setup to time-restricted feeding, but usually that is when someone doesn't really have a view through a circadian lens and is more looking at a method of caloric restriction or something similar. So that is the slight difference between those types of terms. So what exactly are circadian rhythms and how does that actually relate to eating? Circadian rhythms are rhythms that happen with certain biological processes within our body that run at a period of about 24 hours, not precisely, and also for something to be circadian nature, that rhythm would run at about that period endogenously without any interference or influence by external factors. So for example, if there is a circadian process within the body, that would stay running if we isolated that cell away from um, any external stimuli, we would still see about a 24 hour period for that rhythm. Now, that doesn't exactly match up with our 24 hour solar day. And so we can use things within our external environment and these external stimuli to set and refine or what we call entrain the circadian rhythms and to set them more precisely. The biggest and most potent of these external stimuli is light exposure. And this will influence the master clock or the central circadian clock within the brain that can set circadian rhythms. However, where feeding comes in is that we don't just have this master clock, we have peripheral circadian clocks in tissues all around the body. And they are not only influenced by the master clock that can set these circadian rhythms, but they can also be entrained by nutrients. And so when we eat can influence and entrain and uh, impact these circadian clocks. And so therefore, when we ingest calories and nutrients across the day can either aid or hinder a synchronization between those peripheral and central clocks. And so one example being if we choose to eat during the middle of biological night, that is at odds with our light and dark exposure, when we should be waking and sleeping, and that can cause circadian disruption or corona disruption. And so therefore, we can have a better uh, health profile through impacts on circadian biology, depending on when we eat. And this is how the influence of nutrition comes in and one of the reasons why we looked at time-restricted eating. So what are the benefits that we see from time-restricted feeding and time-restricted eating? Within animal models, the best way I tend to summarize this is pretty much anything that you look at to try and improve via these interventions you see benefit for. So the animal models and, and, and data in that area have been incredibly consistent, incredibly compelling, and you see large effect sizes on, on many different parameters. So for example, one thing that you quite commonly see is even if you feed rodents an obesogenic diet, so a specific type of high fat obesogenic diet that we typically use to uh, call, induce obesity within rodents, you feed them that but just condense the feeding window to a shorter feeding window and you don't see the same degree of weight gain, you don't see the same degree of insulin resistance, you don't see the same degree of fatty liver development. You also see better improvements in uh, their uh, glycemic control, you see 
uh, better improvements across a whole host of metabolic health markers, and you typically see better regulation of body weight within that. When we look at the human trials, again, we see relatively similar um, outcomes. However, there's two things we probably need to tease apart. One is in cases where we see a time-restricted eating protocol used that leads to a reduction in caloric intake and therefore weight loss. In those trials, we also see various improvements in metabolic health, but of course that is confounded by weight loss occurring as well because we know that weight loss alone can impact some of those metabolic markers. We do have trials, however, that in, even in weight-stable uh, conditions, you can see improvements in someone's metabolic health profile. One of the most common findings we see is improvements in um, glucose. So you see better um, or you see improved glucose excursions across the day. So glucose doesn't go as high or stay as high for as long after certain meals, depending on when they're eaten. And you typically see improvements in fasting glucose in many of the time-restricted eating trials. So the main ones that we're seeing outside of impacts on uh, body composition would be around metabolic health, one of the core components that is obviously glycemic. So onto some of the practical questions. One that I'm sure a lot of people have is, well, what is the optimal duration of the feeding window that we should have? So is it better to have eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, nine, seven? At what point do we get the best benefit? Do we know the answer? The short answer is we don't know just yet. The other part to it is it's going to be hard to detect as well between slight differences. So one thing that we do know is that compared to control diets, we see benefits for time-restricted eating, whether that's 12 hours, 10 hours, 8 hours, or whatever. There are benefits over just a no restriction, which is quite common. So it might be just useful to start at a number of hours for a feeding window that seems manageable for you as an individual if you are going to try this type of eating strategy. And from there, you can play around and see what works best. The other thing is trying to detect this in inter diet intervention trials, how they're typically set up is going to be difficult. For example, if we try and compare what is the difference between an eight hour window versus nine hours, that's going to be really hard to detect any differences. Second, or beyond that, there's another component that beyond just the duration of the window, there are other influences like within that eight hour window, for example, where we partition those calories towards the start of that window, later, evenly across that window, and how that impacts depending on the time of the day, which we'll get to in the next question. So there's lots of other variables that impact things beyond just there being one optimal duration. So as of right now, there is no exact number of hours that you need to do it for or that we know is even best most trials look at anything between 8 to 12 hours typically so from a very pragmatical or pragmatic recommendation i would say if you've never tried this before and you're interested maybe start by having a 12 hour feeding window that's a really straightforward thing to do 8 a.m to 8 p.m for example and then if you enjoy this uh, intervention, you see some benefit, you can try going lower and see how you feel and pick what works for you. The next practical question beyond the duration of the feeding window is, does it matter where we place that feeding window across the day? So in other words, if we have a, we're going to go with an eight hour feeding window, would it matter if that is from 9am until 5pm? 
versus if that started at 12 p.m. until 8 p.m. Are we going to see any difference? There's been a few trials that have looked at a early time-restricted eating model. So in other words, not only restricting the window, but placing that earlier in the day. And this is something that theoretically and mechanistically makes sense from a circadian perspective. Some of the things we know about uh, cir cir this area of chrononutrition or this interaction between circadian biology and uh, our food intake is that it might be better to partition more calories earlier in the day, or at least I can make a relatively strong case that that makes some mechanistic sense. And so one potential hypothesis is that if we have a condensed feeding window, it's better to place that slightly earlier in the day and to have less or no caloric intake late in the evening towards the nighttime. In, in terms of comparing those directly within human trials, there's only really one, maybe two really good human trials that have compared a uh, early versus late time-restricted eating model of the same number of hours. As, uh, so that one of those papers that came out just this year compared those to, again, a nine-hour feeding window, early versus late, and there was no real significant differences. The only significant different result uh, from memory, I think, was uh, glucose across, across 24 hours was slightly better in the early time-restricted eating model, which makes some sense, uh, and that can, maybe we can dive into in some later questions if you have any, um, but there wasn't any major significant differences in that particular trial. In future trials, we may start to see that there is depending on the setup, there's a good rationale as why there might be. But as of right now, uh, we don't have enough to say you definitely need to have an earlier uh, feeding window. What I would say from a practical perspective is it's probably best not to have large meals late in the evening and close to onset of sleep. So a big thanks goes out to Danny there for his insights in time-restricted feeding. It's a fascinating area of research. And I think beyond the science, I'm a big fan of it because it's just so simple to follow. It stops us grazing at night when we tend to eat a lot of crap and tend to be inactive as well. Circadian rhythms are also really important in this day and age when so many of us are suffering from suboptimal sleep. So do yourself a favour, get outside, get some daylight on you whenever you can, even though it's not too sunny at the moment. I'm also a big fan of moderate intensity exercise in the morning fasted state as well because it's been proven to have enhanced endurance adaptations and fat burning and it places minimal stress on the body which is really important when so many of us again are suffering from this overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system. Moderate fasted training should also theoretically help accelerate some of the health benefits that you see from more prolonged fasting by inducing signaling pathways from things like elevated AMP, oxidized NADH, ACTH and ketones. But this is strictly theoretical, so there's lots more work to be done here. There's also going to be circumstances as well where early time restricted feeding may be contraindicated. So this is for people who like to mainly do their exercise in the evening or perhaps you're fueling for a big event for the next day. So lots to think upon there and I hope you really enjoyed the episode. Remember, you can get the full episode on the Colour Fit Insta and YouTube and also on the Colour Fit Chat podcast. And I'd really appreciate any reviews and comments. Cheers.